Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Pincher? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like this. My neighbor used to have one. They were badass socks. So. He's um that's that's one way perspective. <laughs> well, it was really cool. Well, cuckoo. Was, oh yeah. He wasn't he was just he was really, I guess, even tempered, even kill. So I don't know. Oh, this one's anxious. And I I've heard that Minpins can be a little cuckoo. He does like these crazy circles and he can't sit still and he's kind of looking around and, and then you got this one who's like, dur, 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 you know, <laughs> walking through like, don't mind me. Yeah, I love um, it. yeah. Very different. Well, Emily, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. I already started recording. So I thought that'd be good to throw in there, but um, yeah, no problem. You seem to have one of these cool stories and I like talking to people like, uh, like yourself where you, you, know, you went after this, you know, you were in law school, you know, you're in this like technically, I guess, high career and you decided that no, I'm throwing up the deuces. I don't want to be to do this anymore. Yeah. No. I mean, what happened? What was the motivation? Like, why did you say like, no, I'm good. You know? Yeah. So it's interesting because you actually see in, in the coaching industry, there are a lot of lawyers, former lawyers. And I think, um, nowadays, you know, coaches are popping up everywhere. So there's certainly no single stereotype. And you have a lot of folks who they had this long, successful career in the traditional profession. And then they're like, I don't want to work like this anymore. And I want to advise people and go into coaching, which is more consulting. Uh, But from that angle, so you've got lawyers doing it that way. And then there are a bunch of people who it's more like mid-career like they've been at it for a few years, maybe 10. And they're like, fuck it. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, for me, I say it's part of my story that I practiced for two years. Like I hardly even did it. Um, and there were, there are a couple of angles. One, it was never the profession for me. It was never my calling. And I'll, I'll share my story briefly um, in a minute. Um, But then the other angle is I didn't have the support that I needed and who knows how much longer I could have stayed in it if I did have the kind of support that I provide for folks now. So if I had a coach, um, if I'd gotten my shit together and, or maybe even tried out some different spots instead of just like, like you said, peace out, I'm done. (laughs) Frankly, giving up in a sense, right? Um, when one for when it, one experience didn't work out. Sure. So those are, I think both approaches are important because people have both experiences matter. A lot of people are trying to stay in or just figure out how to move around or how to make things better where they're at when things are hard in a high stress industry. And then a lot of folks are like, who am I? Who the hell am I? And what do I really want to be doing? So that's what I was saying. I'll tell that piece briefly. Um, I went to undergrad wanting to be a therapist. I have always been someone who like goes fast um, and deep with someone. Like I just meet them. We're best friends. That's my mission. My husband's actually the same way. My oldest son is the same way. Um, and so that the nature of that relationship the one-on-one, um, an intimate relationship always made sense for me. I always had um, 
the ability to hold space for really difficult conversations. Nice. So I get into undergrad and I start doing research with someone who was very important. He passed away, um, but was very important in the field of positive psychology. He defined hope theory and it was coaching, but I had no language for that at the time. It was helping people achieve their goals, um, setting goals, figuring out how to achieve them with certain strategies and then motivation, actually doing it. So I loved it. I was obsessed. I'm like, this is great, but I didn't know what the hell to do with it. Like no one was talking about going and becoming a coach um, at the time. So I went to law school. (laughs) Like like I didn't go to law school because I always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, So yeah, it was purely an academic endeavor for me. I actually enjoyed it because I like school, um, but I didn't have this long standing interest in becoming a lawyer. So I figured things out slowly over time what I was really meant to be doing. And now I just get to play for a living. <laughs> well, it's one of those things that, you know, if you were to probably, I don't know your situation, but you know, me just generally speaking that if you were to go tell your, your parents or whoever that, Hey, I'm going to quit law school and I'm going to go be. A oh yeah. That's it's like, what, what the hell are you doing? Oh like, yeah. Like So yeah. I definitely, I, I left that job. Um, my, main law job after a couple of years, like I said, I went into nonprofit management for one year and then moved on to my next job. And, you know, this is normal nowadays, like people move around. Sure. Um, and I'll never forget. I it's like singed in my memory um, because I used to want parental acceptance so badly, right? We crave that shit. Um, I, I knew, remember I can see it. I was sitting in the car parked on this hill right outside my townhouse at the time. And I remember talking to my mom and telling her, I'm so excited. I'm going into law school career development, which really was the step into what I'm doing now. Um, and she's like, but is, don't you have a good job? Like, why are you moving around? Don't do that. Right. Like play <laughs> safe, play safe and small. Sure. <laughs> like You got a steady income. Just keep it. Um, stop, stop trying to move around. So yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of those messages um, trying to protect us, right? The intention is good. And for a lot of us, especially like entrepreneurs and people who we know we're destined for more or something else, it's super fucking limiting. What was it like when you decided to make this change? I mean, like, you know, personally, were you just like, were you scared? Were you nervous? Like, you're just like, what am I doing with my life? Is this going to be a total shit show? Or you, yeah. just, or was it like, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm going to p- go pursue my dream. I know it. Like, this is the best move I can do. Deep down the ladder, um, I always knew like there was something really big out there for me. I mean, even yeah. when I was young, mm-hmm. I knew there were no limits. I in some respects, some aspects of my life, um, I, I was very, very optimistic from the start and especially professionally. I always was very optimistic. I knew something was out there. I knew I could make shit happen. Didn't always know what it was or how, but knew it was out there. Um, and when I was leaving the law, that was a really rough time for me. And I think a lot of people in law and other high stress professions really resonate with that story of kind of burnout and um, that sense of failure and stress and overwhelm and just working all the time. Um, I talked to someone, not a lawyer, but someone today, and she was like, I'm lonely. It's like, I've been doing all this personal development work. I mean, I got to a really good space, you know, personally, And I'm lonely and that shit matters. Like when you isolate yourself, even if you've achieved traditional success, right? So that was definitely my story. Um, I was struggling a little bit at work and then my marriage was failing. My health was a mess. Um, I have three autoimmune diseases and they started flaring up at the time. Didn't know what they were. So I was like, my back would go out. (laughs) I couldn't walk. I had like eye inflammation. Um, I 
like it was bad. Um, and so obviously all of that fuels, like one problem fuels the other, right? Mm. The physical yeah. stuff. And then I'm like totally grumpy. I'm angry about work and I come home and I'm an asshole to my partner, right? So when I left, it was really out of necessity. It wasn't, um, oh, what should I do tomorrow? Maybe I should take it. Like, no, I was like, I have to leave this situation. Like, and I need some space to chill and like try something else. So that was the initial piece. When I was in, then I ultimately got into law school career development. I was there for seven years off and on, um, had a couple babies. That's why I say off and on, but um, loved the work. But that was also when I, I knew there was something bigger out there for me mm. and really getting that itch to work for myself, have deeper relationships with people than like, here's your resume. <laughs> Good luck. Go get a job. I hope you do well. Um, really wanting to help people succeed over time. And so that transition was more, much more intentional Mm. not based in emotion and fear and panic and stress. Um, very, very conscious. So I was in my own coach training program where I was getting intensive coaching for a year as I was making the transition. I had a great relationship with my boss that I was leaving. So that was different, but definitely, like you mentioned, some of that fear popping up, like, Oh shit, how's this going to work? And then one day I would have the the deep, I mean, like total opposite ends of the spectrum. One day I'd be worrying about that. How am I ever going to make it happen? The next day um, I'd have some successful post on LinkedIn and have like six calls booked overnight with people all around the world. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to quit my job early. Like this is it. I mean, I remember saying to my husband, like, fuck, maybe I should just put in my notice tomorrow. Um, And then like, you know, obviously not every single one of those calls becomes a client and I'm learning, (laughs) oh wait, I need to chill and like be methodical. But also I did take that leap before I was ready. Like I didn't wait until I had like steady income, you know, replacing my uh, day job salary. Like Mm -hmm. it was certainly a risk and, you know, financially it's been like this because that's the beginning, um, right. Of any, any um, new business and entrepreneurship. But um, this year has been a really exciting year where big things are coming. Mm -hmm. um, And I think next year, it's like palpable. Um, I've been talking to a lot of other lawyer coaches and like something's in the air and it's, it's in a really exciting time for all of us. Now, I love that uh, you were talking about how you knew there was something bigger out there for you and that and while you were talking, like one of those great quotes that came to my head was like, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And it was just basically where they're afraid to take these chances and do things like that. And like, when you said that you knew there was something bigger out there for you, that, I heard that in a movie once and I I think it was back when I was probably 13 or 12 and I was like, damn, is there something bigger out there for me? I mean, am I going (laughs) down the right road? Is this what I want to do in that? Yeah. But again, you know, I just kind of went along this structured path of what you're supposed to do in life. You know, you're supposed to go to college and you're supposed to go, you know, get as many degrees as you can then get the successful job and then go and all that. And I was like, you know, and I did all the college thing and stuff, but the only reason I went to college is because I thought I had to, you know, I was like, mm. I really wanted to do you mm. know, that. And I even ended up going to community college just because, you know, I didn't get into my actual schools I applied for. So I was like, well, I guess I still got to go to school or I'm going to be a loser. Yeah. 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 It's, it's been super healthy for me. Um, my husband, his family is very entrepreneurial Nice, and just so different. I mean, that is not where I come from. Like my people are like, get a job, keep your head down, do the work, have a boss. Right. And, um, and it's been super healthy having that perspective, um, because while, um, they weren't so into school like we were, and I do think there's value in high value in school. Um, like you're saying it can be to the detriment of all the other good stuff. So like anything, we're looking for that beautiful balance of, you know, the safety net, 
Like, what do you, what do you want to do to set yourself up for like, you'll be okay no matter what. And, and also all the other wonderful things that you get from a college education. Um, And how can you push yourself? I would say to people like, let's dream and go after the dream and simultaneously, like you got to pay your bills, right? So make sure that you're taking care of things. And in my entrepreneurial journey, I'm, I'm thinking that stuff through daily um, in terms of opportunities that I take on, let's say with another organization or getting coaching clients through a platform where they're not paying me millions of dollars, which is, you know, I, I think I'm worth, um, I got to swallow my pride sometimes because I've got to keep the lights on so that (laughs) I can get to that place. Right. So, um, that's a dance I'm always doing. So it's fun to help my clients do that too. I definitely get that struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it shows up in different ways where like we're talking about professionally or my career, I knew there was something bigger and better. Um, my husband and I moved from San Diego to my hometown of Kansas city a year and a half ago. And the real estate is so much more affordable here. I don't right? know. Cr- crazy. Um, and at first we were looking at a house where I mean, no, we would have had no issue paying the mortgage, right? Compared sure. to where we used to be. And we ended up buying a house that was much more expensive than our original budget. And I, I kid you not, I was like, this is it. My intuition is speaking so loudly to me. Like, this is it. This is the house we are destined to have. It was a stretch. And like, you know, we are still like stretching to make it work, but like, it's worth it. Like this beautiful space that I can feel inspired in and comfortable in Mm. and work my way into and up to. And it's the same kind of idea, um, but it's a risk. Like you have to take some risk um, and push yourself a little bit to the limits, right? To be like, at your peak, you know? Yeah, no, I agree that I, and I forgot who said that, or if it's another one of those stupid quotes that, you know, most people who become successful in whatever part of their life is that they were not afraid to take a certain risk, you know, that that's, and even if, what, do you freeze on me? Oh, it says my internet's unstable. Anyway, uh, yeah, they're not afraid to take a certain risk, and that's why they became successful. Even if they fell on, on flat on their face, if they even got back up, says, "Well, I'm going to try it again." And yeah. then you get that risk, you get that rush, and that you know, because I was I was one of these guys, you know, like I said, going to school, I have a safety net. You know, if things didn't work out, well, I'll just fall back on my parents and try something again. But I never really, you know, had the balls, I guess, to actually take an absolute risk, like you just said. I'm going to go move, you know, back to wherever and try something and see what happens. Yeah. And, just because I always had that in the back of my head, just like we were talking about earlier, where, you know, family members <laughs> like, no, stay on a steady path. You know, you have you have a secure, you know, income. Keep it. Keep doing that. And that's like what life is. And I was like, no, nah, it can't be that way all the time. Yeah. They never yeah. look at like the mental health part of it, I guess, just because like I had a family member who says, like, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're making money, it doesn't matter. I was like, what well, does matter? You know, maybe yeah. that's an old school mentality, but if I'm on a, and I'm not knocking production on people, or manufacturing plants, but you know, if you're sitting there doing the same thing over and over, and if you're making six figures a year, that's great. But I mean, still, what is that playing on in your head? Like, Hey, is this my worth? Is this what I want to do? Is this what I'm not, just what I wanted my life to be? I mean, how many people grow up and say, Hey, I want to be on a production line and do that. Yeah, I think I think there's I like to think there's different perspectives. Um, So on the one hand, there's this idea that no matter what you're doing, you have the capacity to make it interesting or make it fulfilling or make or even fun. Um, So, you know, I think that it 100 percent is an individualized thing. Like it depends who's doing what. Um, and in terms of whether you can actually change how would it, and look, even with my lawyer clients, people often are coming to me and they, a lot of times will say, I don't know if I want to leave, but I'm not happy and I don't know what to do about it. And we play with a lot of interesting ideas and ways that they can shift where they're currently at in terms of logistics and also their mindset. And things do start to change for them 
Um, sometimes, for example, people want more socialization and they don't realize that, but like habitually they're holding up in the office or like working remotely and they don't communicate with people and that's comfortable because that's easy and that's what they've been doing and personal relationships take work and it, you know, it, it takes more energy, but at the end of the day, they're missing out on that human connection. So we can figure out steps they can take to start bridging that. And then all of a sudden they're, they're feeling a little bit more engaged. So I do think that there's a lot we can do to better wherever we're at. And sometimes you got to shake the whole system up, right? Like burn it down and totally shift gears and do something entirely different. So I think, I like to think that there are small ways we can explore both um, angles. And sometimes people don't realize that, which is fun when they kind of have that light bulb moment. Is that one of the issues that you see the most with your clients? Was that people wanting that human connection and they're just not knowing how to, I guess, get it? Is that the common I think, name? I think it's common. Um, I think it's definitely not something people come to me articulating uh, and then we, and then we uncover it. Uh, you- um, because the profession itself is, it can be very isolating. Um, first of all, a lot of people are working remotely these days. And so that totally changes the dynamic of connection. Um, but especially if you're doing And then, of course, people working for themselves. I have some solo clients. Um, But then especially if you're doing work like appellate writing um, or even some litigation for early career lawyers who are writing these briefs, you could spend hours just sitting there researching and writing. Mm. And like it doesn't require, you know, other jobs, you're in meetings all the time. Sure. Some of these lawyers are not. It's not like that. You think it's fast paced because they work a lot of hours. Um, But some of them, it's not like that, especially in big law where they have fewer projects, but they're just big. Or again, like I said, I've got some folks doing appellate work and um, it's not like trial work and appeals. You're really working on big projects. So it can be isolating. Um, Another thing that comes up from that setup is challenge, a challenge with productivity and setting artificial deadlines. Mm. Um, Again, people working for themselves, you know, it's hard. It's hard to like keep your engagement up and make sure that you're, no one's, no one's checking in. Like with, you don't have that boss breathing down your neck, you know? So, um, definitely people coming, wanting more support in that area too, where they want to be as productive as possible, um, getting more done, feeling in control of their schedule. Almost everyone is looking for work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone. Um, and even the people who don't bring it up, like in a sense, something about their personal life comes up where they'd like to be doing more of X, Y, and Z, whether it's hobbies, spending time with kids or a loved one, or just self-care, like just wanting to get their damn nails done once in a while, <laughs> or like, you know, sleeping for God's sake. Um, so that's also super common. And then the other thing is leadership. And this is really an angle that I'm taking more of. Um, you know, look, for years, I helped people with career navigation, finding a job, figuring out what's best for them. And I still do that. Um, But I love this particular demographic where they've been in it for a few years. So they're not total newbies. And they, you know, built some confidence with respect to like, the work, they know they can do the work, they know what they're doing. And then they start supervising juniors but they're still beneath a bunch of partners Uh, and reporting up. So they are supervising down. Other folks are supervising them. So they're managing up and they have no leadership training, none whatsoever. So they're taking on this totally new role. Don't know what the hell they're doing. That shit's hard. Um, Working relationships are super hard. Um, communication's hard, lots of stuff coming up about microaggressions mm. in the workplace, cultural differences, um, code switching, being, you know, draining your energy. So 
that's a big one too, um, that I think is a really special spot that I'm settling into where there's a huge need and not always a lot of support provided because executive coaching has historically been reserved for the executives, you know, the people at the top. I hope I I wrote some of those down. So I hope I remember these, but, uh, yeah, like, you know, I, I wanted to touch on like work-life balance because that means so much to me in my life. And that, mm. you know, going back to my history, though, you know, it was one of those things that for whatever reason I went through, I did PE in my undergrad and I was like, okay, yeah, I want to be a PE teacher. And then I started doing my master's degree and decided, oh, I'm going to be a strength conditioning coach. And then somewhere down the road, I found out that, you know, they're working 16 plus hours a day, you know, being in a gym or whatever, just yeah. all the different teams. And I was like, shit, do I really want to be in there 16 hours a day? I'm not that type of person. So that's when I started to realize that, okay, let me, you know, kind of reflect on this and figure out what I actually want to do and what type of job fits me more. And just that, and now I work in IT for whatever reason, but it, it, I love it. But that means, my, I guess my point is work-life balance is so much to me, you know, where I'm able to you know, get in these things, like explore my hobbies, explore new things, have relationships, you know, go have with friends and still be able to do my work and at the end of the day, feel good about it. And and I guess my uh, question or statement or whatever you want to say is that I think a lot of people, because somebody asked me that maybe a couple months ago, and I never really thought about what my work-life balance is and that and how much it actually meant to me. But I think people get caught up in the actual, the daily grind. And I guess maybe even entrepreneurial or even being a lawyer that they think that they have to work 12, 16 hour plus days just to be able to kind of scratch and get their way to the top. You know, mm-hmm. is that kind of what the narrative is? It's, it's more fucked up than that. Oh, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it this way. Um, so yes, you think that, right? It, and that's kind of superficially how it is. But what happens is over the years from school, And then when you first start out, you get used to it. Like that becomes the habit to be working all the time. And that becomes your identity. This is, this is what I do. This is, so we start to attach our value to productivity. Um, Brene Brown talks a lot about this. Um, I think in some of her books, which is interesting, but there's some Ted talk too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's brilliant. Um, Shame and vulnerability researcher, but, but it's this idea that our worth is attached to our productivity. So when we're not producing, it does not feel good. It feels wrong and something feels off. So it's almost like this itch, like, I need to work. I mean, sometimes I jo- I joked about this today. I, I it wasn't really true, but I I do check my emails and stuff periodically on the weekends or when I'm on vacation. But I was saying to someone like, yeah, sometimes I kind of itch when I'm not working, just because I love my work so much. So it's coming from a different space, um, not I feel like I have to and like right like workaholic, but more. I really enjoy it and want to serve my clients. Um, and I have to pull back for that reason. But for a lot of folks, p- closing down, like they feel guilty not working on the weekends. They feel guilty being away. Um, and look, it's two things. It's that conditioning over time. And so the st- stuff that they've internalized and believe, and it's also the environment right? It's also these, this toxic environment where there are these little um, constant comments about glorifying working all, all hours of the day and night, right? Where people are talking about that, like that's the norm, they're yeah. normalizing it, where um, maybe you say that you need to leave early and someone like makes a face, right? <laughs> or they don't respond, Like it's all of these messages that are communicated that people receive that it's not acceptable Uh. to not be working all the time or to take time for yourself. So this is why it's so important when we talk about leadership development to be modeling the behavior, these positive um, habits. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park It's behaviors, work-life integration is the phrase I use. Um, these concepts that are kind of new age, you know? And so sometimes we see people where habitually for them, let's say they've been in it for 30 years, it is just so hard and that's what they do and their family life is used to it. Like they're not changing, fine. But it's a little goofy for them to like put up a firm policy that says, Work-life balance is important to us, right? Sure. But then, but then, why are you at the office during the? Why are you sleeping here? Why do you have a shower in your office, right? So, that's. I think that's an important piece here. Is some young people really do want to start off with better work-life balance than people did years ago, um, and and we need to support that, and we need to show that that makes sense for retention for well-being, for mental health, all all the reasons. There are just too many to name. Yeah, you know, it just like it goes I don't know if it's overlooked or whatever, but just like you said that yo know, a young person comes in and they build this habit of, <laughs> hey, I'm gonna work past, you know, five o'clock or whatever just to get this done. But then X amount of hours goes by and they don't realize what they've done. You know, it's like, oh shit, you know, I've worked till nine o'clock and then, you know, they missed going out with their friends or they missed you know, I don't know the movie relationship, everything's yeah. down in a spiral negative loop. And it's just, and they don't realize what they're doing because they created this habit and they think it's actually a positive habit, but, and it's not. And I feel like in, especially in entrepreneurship, it's very glamorized that you should always be, you know, working and the grind. Yeah. yeah, And just stay on it. It's like the it's a hustle culture. I don't even know what it is, but yeah. 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 And like, you know, like who says it like the rock and Elon Musk are always talking about, Oh, you don't really need sleep. You know, you just need to keep, <laughs> getting up and working and that's how you become successful and i'm not arguing against that but well but science does <laughs> yeah i agree but i i just yeah. think that it's just one of these like you said like the norm or the narrative and that you know it doesn't have to be this way just because you know society's telling you it has to be this way you know you should be able to challenge the status quo just as you did you know it's like hey, i don't want to do this anymore i want to go do what i want to do yeah i mean even in little ways and look that's what it's always takes takes the baby steps, right? We would push people to take baby steps um, and start small. But for example, I, I always talk about my schedule, which is changing. I have a big project I'm taking on, which I'm very excited about. So I'm shifting things a little bit, but I've been super protective of my schedule. And I don't know when it started, but it was sometime early on in COVID where I didn't take calls before 10 a.m. Nice. So like that was the beginning of my work day. And early on, I mean, I had both of my kids home from preschool at home. I was working two jobs and doing a certification program. It's not that crazy now, but, but yeah, like I like to walk my kid to school. I like to walk the dog, um, get him some exercise, see the people in my neighborhood, say good morning get yep. some sunshine, you know, and not really set an early alarm. That's a big deal to me sure. um, for anyone. But especially when you have kids, you know, not rushing in the morning, that is a game changer. Like the morning rush is the worst thing. So um, I, I pushed back my schedule again, kind of non-traditional hours. And then like we started talking about early on, we both work at night. Yeah. A lot of people think that's crazy. And I, a couple times have had people kind of comment on the fact that like, I'm a coach trying to help people like pull back and do, and do the right thing, do what's best for them. I'm like, let's be clear. There's no standard. <laughs> There's no standard. That doesn't mean work 
four hour days or like nine to five. Uh Um, I used to have that conversation with my boss when I was still working at a university. Um, There was clearly this idea that it was best to leave work, shut down and like not do anything else work related after hours. But for me, like I had a kid who was struggling in the aftercare program at school. So it was best for me to leave work early, pick the kid up, go home and do dinner and all that stuff, and then do a little bit more work at night. It's personalized, right? So I think that's the most beautiful thing about coaching and what sometimes people don't understand when they're not so educated about the industry or about like purist coaches, I should say, um, is we're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to help you figure out what is best for you based on your natural preferences, your strengths, and your desired lifestyle. And then taking those baby steps, making those tweaks to make that shit happen. It's (laughs) radical, I know. You know, and talking about schedules and routines, I used to be anti-routines and schedules. And I guess that maybe came from, you know, like maybe I had Peter Pan syndrome. I didn't want to grow up. (laughs) I used to think that people... I'm a little like that too, by the way. Yeah, like who had a schedule and they were on a routine. I was like, what? That sounds like a loser. Like, what are you doing? Or like, why don't you just live by the center of your pants or whatever? I hope I said that right. Yeah, it feels dangerous. Yeah, you know. (laughs) And I finally, I don't know where I picked it up from. I mean, but I finally heard somebody say that, you know, great athletes are governed by routine, right? And then going back on that work-life balance, it started to make sense to me that, you know, when that person asked me, like, how do you do everything that you were able to do? It's just, well, I mean, I have a schedule, you know, I make sense of it all. And like, yes. like you say, being rushed, I hate being rushed, you know? And, yes. and, I, and I planned out my days, you know, you know, I got my, you know, my regular full-time job. I know I'm there for X amount of hours or certain hours. And then after that, I have my cr- CrossFit training. And then after, you know, at nights, I know I'm doing this, you know, and I'm still able to fit everything in you know, as, as much as I want to, you know, and he's like, yeah. what do you mean? he's like, well, it's just, you know, you just set your own hours. You set what you want to do. And if you don't like it, then change it. It's not. Hard. Yes. Yeah. Well, the idea is habit building. You have to have habits because when you have, have habits, you are in a good way, just going through the motions. Um, in other words, you're doing things that you positive habits, you're doing things that you want to be doing that are positive and productive, and it doesn't take effort. You're just doing them naturally. And that requires routine. Like you literally, (laughs) you have to have it set up to make things habitual. Um, So I think that like for me, one of the reasons I can do these late night calls is a call I'm going to show up for. Um, I, you know, I have energy when I'm on a call. I know it makes sense with my natural rhythm. If I'm trying to get certain tasks done at night, And like, it's taking a lot of thought and I'm on my own. I know it's not going to work. So it it also takes some serious reflection to really think through, like, what is my natural rhythm and preferences and strengths? How is it going to work with my schedule? But again, like, that's not something people traditionally did with that old school, you know, nine to five in the office. Like that doesn't work for everybody. I've had a lot of clients who are like, I'm not an early riser. Mm -hmm. I'm like, shit, I can't imagine. Like back in the day when I was setting a 5 a.m. alarm, um, you know, like I I don't have a terrible time getting up in the morning, but I can't imagine someone who's like, nope, can't do mornings, but like you have to get up that early to drive to... Los Angeles for a hearing or whatever it may be. Um, So yeah, I think there's this interesting shift we're seeing where we're actually for the first time asking people like, what works for you? And how can we accommodate that? You know, and and God forbid, if if you can't, obviously you have that conversation too, but first starting off and trying, right? Like why have we not been trying to accommodate people's natural preferences? Well, I think it's becoming more acceptable to actually ask these, you know, not ask these people, but ask people like, Hey, you know, what are your preferences? What do you value? What are your, what are your morals? And like it with maybe with podcasts, maybe with, you know, media, whatever you want to say that it's more better to openly talk about them rather than just mm. die away from not talking about it where you, cause you're like, Oh, wait, what if I say the wrong value? What if I say the wrong thing? Then they're going to think, yeah. you know, completely different. I mean, there's like so much decision or judgment. It's going to be, 
shed it on me that I didn't want. But now it's going to be like, well, this is why I think this way. And, you know, and it's what I value. And it's like, okay, cool. And that's great because it's rather than having like a two minute segment of just saying, hey, I value computers or whatever you want to say. But it's like, well, why do you value computers or why do you value yeah. time or this or time management? I forgot. I don't know. It's probably dumb examples. But yeah, and it's one of those things that I do wonder, though. You know, when a person does get asked that question, you know, hey, what do you value in life? They're like, wait, oh shit, what do I value? You know, I mean, do you? Ever- oh yeah, people don't know. Yeah, a they lot have no of people. Yeah, I do a values exercise with almost all of my clients, and a lot of them, I always start off asking, "What do you want to get out of this?" And a lot of them are like, "I have never done this. I have never sat down and thought through like, what do I care most about?" And oh. it's important. It's important to help drive decision making. It's so important. It's important to redirect the course of your life, um, to redirect um, little steps that you're taking. Like, for example, if you highly value friendship and then you sit there and are like, shit, I don't ever talk to my friends. I work all the fucking time. Um, Maybe if we start scheduling a weekly phone call, you're going to feel a little bit more fulfilled at the end of the day. Like, valued living is definitely a key to living a happier life. Sure. Um, so it's it's super important, but I think the interesting thing and why this came up is it times are different. Back in the day, we kept personal stuff out of the workplace, right? And nowadays they say that people want to work with a value-aligned employer. Like that's really important to them. I have a lot of clients to say, I don't think my workplace is lining up with my values. And that is really wearing on them and draining their energy and requiring them to think super fucking carefully about everything they say and do at work. Um, And you just want to be, right? Everyone's like, I just want to be my authentic self. I used to shy away from that language because I feel like it's so coachy and like overused. However, my clients use it. My clients show up and they say, I want to be my authentic self. I want to be authentic. I'm like, okay, I guess I can use that language again. Um, So yeah, I think at the end of the day, people looking for um, to be able to be more authentic Um, They're looking for work-life balance or to integrate their work and their personal life better. Um, They're looking for socialization, like we talked about, um, so that they don't feel alone. Loneliness is a huge problem, especially in American culture. Um, Mm -hmm. That's that's an entirely different conversation in terms of like how we live. I have lots of interesting thoughts on that. Um, And also, like you've been talking about time and time again, um, they're looking for a career that aligns with what they really want to do, mm-hmm. what they meant they're meant to be doing, and not just following this traditional path based on what outside influences have been telling them to do. Yeah, you know, one of the I just have recently had a job interview, and that was one of my questions that you know, like, hey, what is the workplace culture here like? You know, and it's like, you know, is this something where I can be my true self in and. Is there a right to be one of those guys? Have you ever read that book, Bullshit Jobs? No. So there's a book and the premise of it is, is this or synopsis, whatever the word is, that uh, it's about people who work these jobs and they pretend to be working the whole time rather than actually working. And that's like their day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and like, I was like, damn, I, you know, I don't want a job like that. So I want a job like where I, like you were saying, like, well, I want to be able to be myself rather than just saying, oh, here comes the boss and just like, yep. Super good today, boss. And this yeah. I've been away and just doing nothing all the time where I can actually but be myself and bring value to the team that way and you know hone some some type of leadership. Oh, that's what I was gonna ask you. Some type of leadership mm-hmm. skills that way. But you know, in talking about those values and stuff earlier, I mean, the first time I was asked, what is your leadership style? I had no uh. idea to say. <laughs> like and that is, is that what you come up with too with your clients or like not knowing their values but then you're just like oh tell us about your leadership I mean what do you do what do you value or how do you whatever like they don't they don't know what to say or I didn't know what to say too I had to work on that yeah good question um the way that I coach it brings it up more organically um rather than kind of putting them on the spot and asking for like a broad overview mm. so people tend to come to me 
with an idea of issues, right? And then I also do an assessment with them and it's an energy assessment, but you could also think about it as a leadership assessment. So it, it is all about how they're showing up. So we're gonna look at where they experience conflict, where they experience self-doubt, um, where they experience confidence on the flip side, where they experience joy in their lives and at work, um, when they feel like they're in you know, problem-solving mode. Um, so essentially where they experience low-level energy and where they experience high-level energy. That, for me and my purposes, that's enough to bring out the leadership competencies and growth opportunities or gaps, if you will. Um, so I don't, sometimes I don't coach in a such a literal sense um, around those traditional leadership areas. I do though have a program that is like that. I have a program where the assessment is the energy assessment that I described, and then also um, asks them to rate themselves in 36 leadership competencies and also has other people rate them too. Oh. So that's literally identifying um, their strengths, growth opportunities, and blind spots that they could not see without that information. So where do they perceive themselves stronger than others perceive themselves? Um, so maybe some issues um, to address that they wouldn't have thought of. And then where might they rate themselves lower? And we need to really work on confidence. Um, so really interesting stuff we can get just from those assessment pieces. But the common areas that are popping up are communication, mm. um, working relationships, emotion regulation, right? A lot of people could admit, I get angry. I'm super frustrated at work. And guess what? When you're angry and frustrated, you might show up a little angry and frustrated, right? Yeah. You might show up in conflict in your interactions with people, passive aggressive. Sure. Um, sometimes people are like, well, I don't fight with people. It's like, okay, are you making passive aggressive comments? <laughs> oh yeah, that's me <laughs> all day long. Like, okay, that's conflict energy too. Um, so those are some common areas. Um, and then again, that work-life tension, that's hard in terms of, like I said, if you're in a leadership role, you want to be modeling, um, practicing what you're preaching, sure. um, walking the talk, if you will, setting those examples for other folks. Um, so those are some common things that are popping up that I think are super important. The last thing I want to say, though, about leadership is the way I define it, which comes from the Institute for Professional Excellence and Coaching or IPEC, which is my coach training program. Mm -hmm. um, the way I define it is it's with respect to self-leadership and leading other people. And it's all about inspiring and motivating positive action. So self-leadership, are you able to get up and say, I've got all these things I want to get done today, these value-aligned goals, and shit, I'm going to get them done. And you bust it out and you do it. Like really strong self-leadership. Leading others is more obvious. That's what we typically think about management or supervisory duties. But there, um, it's really a, my emphasis is really on a coach approach to leadership. So empowering other people, not just doing shit for them, um, but really empowering them to be active, to be their best, facilitating learning opportunities, um, have a lot of My internet sucks tonight. Learning. Oh. Did, did I lose you? Yeah, yeah. For some reason, my internet's been acting up tonight, and I have no idea. That's how to, okay. That's but. okay. But I'll just wrap this up by explaining I love that coach approach to leadership and helping folks really help other people that they're supervising um, feel empowered, help them recognize learning and growth opportunities themselves solve problems for themselves, really grow on their own and not just go do this. Why'd you do this wrong? Fix this, right? And, and giving that negative feedback or no feedback at all. That's also super common. You know, I'm wondering, I mean, I'm like how you're explaining things and I think it's really articulated very well. And I was just wondering that, and I was thinking about this while you were talking about 
you know, when I started coaching CrossFit on the side that it took me a while to like kind of find my, my niche or philosophy or style, whatever you want to say, you know, just like, Hey, you know, try Cause I was, you know, I felt like I was trying to copy, you know, how it was in my circumstances. Did it kind of take you a little bit to try to find your, you know, your niche and find like what your style was or did you just come out yes. swinging? Come out brilliant and <laughs> everything. Hell yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'd love to say so. No, I love this question and I think it's so, so good. Well, shit, it's good for prospective clients for me yeah. so that they hear my authentic answer um, right. and the struggle, you know, what I've learned through the struggle. There's that um, modeling. And then also, I think it's good for entrepreneurs to hear this and to sure. be thinking about this, too. So for me, I always knew, I mean, from the beginning, I was working with lawyers um, and I not only am I a lawyer, but I worked in law career development for seven years. So that my thought about coaching was it was an extension of the work I had been doing. And in the beginning, I was even doing more, more work related to the career advising. So I was helping people find jobs. I was still doing some resume review and interview prep, um, which I've really moved away from. Um, so that was just natural for me. The other thing was that was my community. That was my network. And, you know, I, I don't know how it is in your industry, but lawyers trust other lawyers and they don't trust non-lawyers. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah. So, you know, they're like, you know, you get it. I mean, people say that to me all the time. And it's so funny to me because I'll even have like um, a big law partner say that to me. And I don't sit there and remind them that I only worked in private practice for two years. I'm thinking, no, I don't get it. I've never been in your shoes. Nobody yeah. gets it. Um, but it's, it's a sense of comfort for them. And of course there is a, a huge factor of empathy where I am very familiar with the legal industry and its operations and how it works and what's typical. And so at the end of the day, no matter whom you're serving, when you've coached so many people and for so many hours, if you do have a niche, you hear the same stuff popping up over and over again. Sure. So even if I hadn't been in a particular situation, I have the experience at this point where I can say, you are not alone, um, which is so important for validation. Um, you are not alone, super common issue. Um, and here's what we're going to do. So that's number one. Number two, I have shifted, like I mentioned over time. So I started out doing more of like what I knew and more closely to, um, to the work that I had been doing. I have shifted to working with more senior folks, more mid-level managers, um, and more in a leadership development, uh, from a leadership development approach. Um, it's really fun working with people who are like, things are okay and I want them to be great. Mm -hmm. That's a really fun space to play in. Um, it's also fun getting to do a little bit of training, um, teaching in addition to the coaching. So I, with I, the curriculum that I use from IPEC, um, there are some training opportunities and some other orgs I work with, um, that I get to pair with the coaching and that's really comprehensive. So kind of a bigger impact sometimes. Um, and then the other thing I'll say on this is I've definitely like shifted right over time. I mean, and I think I always will be, um, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's typical. So in the very beginning I came out, um, full force on the entry level lawyers coach, like super specific. And then I'm like, oh, shit, these people don't hire coaches. <laughs> They're not looking for coaching. They don't know what the hell it is. They're not struggling. Like, um, so I still work with some of them if they find me, but I'm not like targeting those folks sure. anymore. Um, it, it, you have to have a, a business that's surviving to be able to provide support. And I realized over time, instead of really working so hard to convince people who don't know much about coaching that like it was a solution for them as a proactive solution, right? Um, that I didn't need to do that because I could 
go to folks who are really looking for it, serve them um, at a more appropriate rate. And then I can all, then also offer pro bono coaching to early career folks or students. Um, so there are just things you play with and you come to realize over time that you just can't know in the very beginning. Um, so that's something I've shifted with. And the other area, I started out like developing so much content um, I've got so much going on up here. Nice. Um, and if you can't tell, very high energy. So like I I'll love just it. tool away for hours creating shit and my own frameworks. And um, I submitted for a trademark. And then all of a sudden I realized my coach training program has this beautiful curriculum. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? So I've actually shifted back to a lot of their curriculum and materials and um, built presentations around that because it's tried and true. It's tested. It's been used internationally um, with so many leaders around the globe. And um, it just seems like a no brainer when I had some experience under my belt and then to use that core. So it's a really nice pairing of like tried and true leadership development curriculum I like to think I add a modern perspective and a little fun with it so it's not stale. Um, and and it comes together really beautifully for something that feels grounded and interesting. Mm. Emily, real quick, I know we're getting short on time, but yep. did you just say that lawyers trust don't trust non-lawyers? Is that what you said? <laughs> I mean, very broad stereotype. Well, yeah. And I, I joke a little bit, but I did say that. Okay. Well, where I was getting at was that when I was considering going for my PhD that, you know, there's like a PhD and there's like an EDD and EDS. I forgot them all. But, you know, I got some advice that if you don't get your PhD, you're going to look down upon if you got like an EDD or whatever. It's like, shit, I didn't even yeah. know that, that. Yeah. It's a, it's look, it's, um, it's like a lot of things in this industry. It's for marketing purposes sometimes, right? It's just to get in, yeah. to get your foot in the door. Um, and, and that's the interesting thing. Like it's so much easier for me to get in with lawyers than it is with other folks, even if, I mean, they're, they're willing to pay you more. Like it's just wild. So that totally makes sense. I'm not surprised. And especially with academics, there can be a little snobbery, you know, on the PhD side. So, well, Emily, let's take this home right on that right there. Um, you're a badass person. And I appreciate you being here. So, uh, uh, if people want to find you, if you want to plug whatever you want to plug, feel free to do all that right now. Awesome. Yeah. Hersacorincoaching.com is my website. That's got all the scoop there. That's H I R S E K O R N coaching.com. Um, Right now, I am launching the Confident Leadership Academy. It's a six-month program. I was talking a little bit about that 360 assessment. Oh. Super cool stuff when it comes to leadership competencies. So if you are mid-career, you're, I like to say, emerging leader, you're just figuring that out, a really great program to get your company to sponsor. Um, so I still am doing the one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, I will be starting a wait list soon though, because I have some big projects I'm taking on. Nice. Um, I'm still doing the purest coaching. You show up, whatever you want, month to month. That's going on too. But I've also got this six-month program with a well-developed curriculum. Um, again, really targeted towards companies that want to sponsor their folks who are emerging leaders. So super excited about that. And happy to provide any details. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or um, through my website too. Cool. Thank you again, Emily. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, we're out of here, folks. See you.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.